0: Welcome to the Legal Pad Podcast presented by Brashears Miller, a show designed to educate small businesses and startups on how legal services and strategy can help optimize their business. Join Brian Brashears and Sean Miller as they discuss the most pressing legal issues in today's business climate. In today's episode, Brian is going to talk about key terms and filing documents.
1: Hello and welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the Legal Pad podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, my name is Brian Brashears. I'm a licensed Texas attorney. I am Brashears Miller's managing member in the Austin office. And I'm here today to talk to you about the key terms and filing documents. You know, in previous episodes, we covered a couple of things discussing just general business matters. We started off talking about starting a business with an attorney. Then next, we went and talked about taxes and liabilities for just general businesses in Texas. And then today, we're going to talk about key terms in the filing documents. This is going to shine more light regarding the strategy and planning the implementation of how you want to structure and operate your business ultimately. So let's dig into it. The first thing you may want to know is what is this going to cost? What are the costs associated with registering your business with the state? In this context, we're gonna be focusing on Texas. However, each state's more likely than not gonna have some sort of registration or application fee in regards to registering your business with that state. So today we're gonna focus registering a limited liability company with the state of Texas. And we're gonna go with limited liability company simply because they're the most often used entity in the state of Texas and probably across every jurisdiction in the United States because of their ease of use and their flexibility and the benefits and simplicity that they provide the members of the business. And the price associated with this structure of a limited liability for the state of Texas at least is $300. And without any additional context, it might be a sticker shock whenever you see $300 associated with the filing fee of your business. Businesses need all the money that they can get and keep in their pockets to get started. But think of it another way. It's $300 is the price you'd pay for a brand new PlayStation 4 or a lot of chicken nuggets or even more gumballs. So it's all relative to whatever your interests are or what your professional goals may be. We spoke in an earlier episode that many benefits are associated with including additional members. So this might be a good opportunity to expand the members within the business So you're not the only person on the hook for the initial setup fees and costs associated with the business. After you have the money in hand for the application fee, then I think it would be a good idea to really sit down and plan for the business operations and what's going to be included within the filing documents that are going to be submitted with the state. The first thing you're going to want to consider is the name of the business. In the state of Texas, you cannot file or register a business if the name of the business is deceptively similar to a business that's already filed with a state. But what does that mean? Before this episode, I did a little research into businesses within the state of Texas, just to look up what names are common, what names are already taken, and basically just give you an idea of what is deceptively similar, which will help you identify what is a suitable name for your business. So first, just to get things started, on the Secretary of State's research engine, I looked up Texas, and my results turned out that that name is not specific enough to yield any results. Currently, there are over 3,000 businesses that begin with just Texas within the state of Texas. So after that... I narrowed the search a little bit by adding build. So we're looking for Texas build. And in that search result, we have 102 separate entities within the state of Texas that at least begin with Texas and followed by build. So Texas build are at least the first two words of these entities. So whenever you look them up, you're gonna see a lot of different deviations and modifications, but at least they're gonna include Texas build. It could be Texas building, Texas builders, Texas building supplies, maybe? I don't know. It can be a lot of different things. I mean, I believe the point here is that as long as you distinguish yourself enough from just the generic term of Texas build... They're going to let you go on with it and run with that name. And if you search Texas build into the search engine, you might see a couple things that are curious. One thing that stood out to me was Texas building contractors showed up a handful of times, uh, five specifically. And in a couple of those contexts, they are multiple LLC formations and a couple incorporated entities. So when it comes to these entities, how, why is this allowed? Why are there redundancies in these business names? That's gonna be because you can have different formation structures with the same entity. So Texas Building Contractors is permitted and distinguished in the context of an LLC, which can also be distinguished from a limited partnership which can be further distinguished from a limited liability, limited partnership, or just a generic incorporation or a corporation. So you have that factor to consider. And then second is that you can only reserve the name or you only have rights to the name so long as your business is, active and in good standing within the state of texas and many of these cases when there are redundancies it is because an earlier business has forfeited the right either voluntary or involuntary to do business within the state of texas under that name so next let's talk about registered agents and the registered agents office and you might be asking yourself what is a registered agent nobody told me i needed one of those why should i care and fair enough Registered agents are the point of contact for the business. So if anyone is going to submit either snail mail, a complaint, or a formal lawsuit against the company, they're going to be the person who receives this notice and then communicates it back to the business itself. And when selecting your registered agent, you want it to be someone who's responsible or someone who has a history of trustworthiness. And when it comes to selecting a registered agent, an LLC cannot select itself to serve as its own registered agent. So when it comes to selecting the registered agent, you have a lot of options and opportunities to either choose between a domestic entity or a foreign entity that is registered to do business within the state of Texas or an individual that is residing within the state of Texas. So now that we have an understanding of registered agents, who they are and what they do, we can move on to an even more exciting component of the filing documents and talk about the governing authority, For the governing authority, you have a couple of options. Your entity can be either manager-managed or member-managed. And as the names and terms may suggest, manager-managed is an entity that is operated or controlled or managed by, you guessed it, a core group of managers. Now, managers can be either individuals or additional entities But the fundamental trait between them all is that they have some sort of influence or control within the entity and can make managing decisions. Alternatively, we have member-managed LLCs. And for this, it usually means that any person that's involved with the LLC and has the right to receive a contribution or a distribution of the profits has influence or control to the LLC. And more often than not, it's in proportion to their allocation or share of the profits that they would normally receive. Though there's no hard set rule on how these things are normally handled. Ultimately, whenever you file your LLC, you also either during or shortly thereafter, you draft your operating agreement to confirm the arrangements between the members and the managers and make sure everyone's contribution allocation and control is accounted for a key feature during the operating agreement drafting phase, as well as the actual entity formation phase is consistency and clarity and transparency between members and managers of the business. That way there's no surprises when the paperwork is filed and accepted by the state it really makes sure and ensures that everyone's on the same page and there's no subsequent delays or need for additional revisions just to get the business started. After the business's governing authority has been determined, you're going to want to determine the business's purpose. Luckily for Texas, you can just have the statement that's provided on the form submitted to the state, which provides that the business is being formed for the purpose of any and all lawful business activity. It's pretty generic, and it applies to almost all businesses. I think the time when you would want to restrict the purpose of the business is if your business was really specifically engaged for a specific purpose, and you want all members and managers to engage in activity that supports that specific purpose. There's a general exception to this rule when you would want to supplement the information from any and all lawful business activity, and where you would want to go into details, and that's if your entity is formed for a specific purpose. Provision under the Internal Revenue Code as provided by the IRS, which would require additional disclosures or purposes for the business. For example, if you were forming a nonprofit or a 501c3 business. After the purpose of the business has been determined, the paperwork is pretty much all but finalized. The last thing you really want to decide is the effectiveness of the filing, and you have a couple of options here. You can have one, uh, have the document and the filing paperwork become effective once it's filed and approved by the Secretary of State. The second option is going to be postpone the filing date up to 90 days from the date of signing. And lastly, you can have the paperwork take effect following the occurrence of an event. For example, if you're a big Dallas Cowboys football fan, you can have your paperwork submitted to the state and say, this business formation is to be effective after the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl. Uh, You can do that because the the Super Bowl is within 75 days as of today's date. It's happening on February 2nd, 2020, which, yeah, 75 days, well within the 90-day requirement. So, yeah, you can definitely submit your paperwork with the caveat that it only becomes effective if the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl, which may not be the best business move or it might be a great business move. I I don't know. What I do know is that today's episode was a lot of fun. Check out next week's episode and Sean's going to talk about federal taxes and the IRS
0: not really trying to get sued here so the legal pad podcast is intended for educational entertainment purposes only does not offer legal advice and does not take the place of consultation with a qualified attorney quotations from cases pleadings discovery or any other sources are for illustrative purposes only and are not suitable for use in litigation The LegalPad podcast and its affiliates disclaim any liability or responsibility for loss or damage resulting from the use of the content of its episodes or the information, ideas, or opinions presented. So there.